Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We've got Johnny Walker. Hello and welcome to Rewatchability. We're part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network. I'm Jay McNabb, joined as always by Robert Larone. And uh, we have a special guest filling in for Blaine this week. It's our friend Johnny Walker. Hey, Johnny. Hello. The new Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've often thought of myself as such. <laughs> it's funny because last week we literally said, why don't Blaine go away and just call Johnny? And uh, oh, then we just did that this week. Uh-huh. Uh, it's funny. Also, Give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah, who are those characters that everyone hated on Lost that they just like buried alive? Oh God, <laughs> that's what that's happened so with Blaine. Cruel. <laughs> um Okay, well, if you've never heard the show before, each week we rewatch a movie or TV show and then talk about it, see how it holds up today. And this week we're actually going to do things a little bit differently because it's not a movie we're talking about. It's not even a, a scripted narrative TV show. No. Uh, for the first time, I think we're talking about a talk show, a formative talk show that came in the late 90s and early 2000s. It had a big impact on some of us. This has been brewing for years. Like, I remember <laughs> seeing true. Johnny in person, like when we actually saw people and interacted in <laughs> public spaces. And we talked about maybe doing this on the show. And I, I should say the topic is The Rosie O'Donnell Show, which began in 1996 and ran until 2002. And yeah, we were just, we just started talking about it and kind of like, all of these different like weird memories of what happened on the show started popping into our brains like a fever dream we half remembered. Mm -hmm. Is that how you remember it? It was a long time ago, too. I mean, I feel like that was pre the E1 studio days, right? Like, I think been. we were just at your house. It might have been in, in this depressing basement that I've... <laughs> been relegated to <laughs> i feel like it might have been in in the midst of when there was that really sort of epic batman string of episodes oh yeah oh that's a long time ago though that was a long yeah. time ago yeah that was when wow when blaine and i were neighbors that was a weird yes yeah weird time but 
Okay, well, let's... let's... <laughs> he was playing a bad neighbor. <laughs> well, he went over to borrow a cup of sugar. He was like, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> no, no, he was, he was a good neighbor. Well, let's do what we normally do and go around and talk about when we first saw the show or our kind of earliest memories of the Rosie O'Donnell show. Johnny, let's start with you. What do you, what do you remember uh, about Rosie O'Donnell? Oh, wow. Um, I think I was on board from the start with this show. <laughs> I think I must have been watching it from pretty much the moment it began. I believe it began during the summer. So that made sense because I was never like a camp kid or anything. Like I was at home during the summers. And if there was going to be... Also, I feel like that was the era where there was rarely ever new television during the summer at all so the idea of there being a show that you could watch that was something new is like a bit of an event in and of itself and then it was always on i believe uh at 4 p.m so even after when i was back in school i remember it was kind of my like after school ritual like i'd get home i'd turn on the rosie o'donnell show maybe microwave a jamaican patty and uh <laughs> as a little sort of you know they that sort of like meal that teenagers have in between lunch and dinner and uh and watch rosie be rosie i was so on board uh i felt like i i was i was charmed by her i thought she was fun I was so excited for her when things like her interviews with Tom Cruise or Barbara Streisand happened. I I found her enthusiasm really infectious. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like she was into all of the kind of gay theater shit that I was into. (laughs) So I, I I was like, yes, like bring on the cast of Cabaret to do a number. I want to see that. (laughs) Bring on Bette Midler for your Halloween party. Like, who? that's what everyone wants. <laughs> what about Naturally. you, Rob? Did you, did you you watch the show when it was on, I'm sure? Yeah, I did. I think I was a little bit more reluctant to. I, it was on, I remember, just after I came home from school. And usually, by the time I came home from school, my mom was already watching TV. We only had one. And she was usually watching the Rosie O'Donnell show. I think I would have preferred to watch something else. Maybe there was a Simpsons on or something like that. But uh, I did end up watching a lot of the Rosie O'Donnell show. And sometimes I liked it. Sometimes it wasn't for me. But there are moments that I remember. Like, I remember seeing the, uh, the Titanic musical performed on the Rosie O'Donnell show and I was wow. like that's weird there's a musical of the Titanic <laughs> <laughs> but she was a really big booster of uh, that particular musical for some reason it was a big show but it was more of like my mom and my sister's thing they enjoyed watching it and you know it wasn't really for me as a uh, as a 12 to uh, 16 year old uh, boy I, I was interested in things that I guess were like more masculine and wow. Uh, well, you're, yeah, I mean, you're also really teeing up <laughs> me to talk about my enjoyment of the show. Yeah, I you know I, it's funny that you say that though because I was prepared to say like that wasn't my experience at all. Like 
even, you know, like the people who uh, were maybe more insecure with their masculinity, like Rob here, uh, uh-huh. were, were yeah. like super into the show because when we were kids or like, you know, early teenagers, like most of us weren't staying up to watch like late night shows. So this was like mm-hmm. a late night show that we could all enjoy. So my experience was like everyone watched the Rosie O'Donnell show because that was the, the sort of talk show for kids. I remember like one <laughs> when I was in junior high, one kind of like bro kind of like tough guy dude <laughs> was talking about how he saw Hanson on it. And, uh, it, you know, very heterosexual, very like, yeah, like macho played football kind of guy and, uh, never heard of Hanson, saw Hanson and, and was talking about how hot the keyboard player was. And we're, oh, <laughs> like, oh, classic. It, it is a tree. It is a trio of young men. And he a lot did of not us believe were us. fooled. So <laughs> that was what an interesting rite of passage that was for, for straight boys coming of age in the late 90s to have a confusing crush on Taylor Hanson, yeah. <laughs> whose name gave you no <laughs> favors, true. to be fair. You had to yeah. subscribe to Tiger Beat to <laughs> to get the lowdown on the... Uh, the uh, they should really have included mm-hmm. their pronouns in their bios or whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, they're still a band. Taylor Hanson was super pretty, though. It's fair. Absolutely, yeah. I wonder. I wonder what that guy's doing now. If I could remember his last name, I could. I think they're still in Hanson. I think Hanson's still a band. No, no, I meant the guy from my school. I know Hanson's oh. still a band. <laughs> but uh, as for me, yeah, like I watched the show, like you, Johnny, every day after school. Like I said, it was the way that we kind of digested entertainment as kids or entertainment news like i mean there was you know the internet was very early so like if you were finding out about like movies and things there you know you had to watch like entertainment tonight or in this case like the rosie o'donnell show if you weren't going to stay up and watch the late night shows and it it wasn't something i immediately latched onto like i remember being kind of weirded out by it at first like i didn't hear about it before it hit the airwaves it just all of a sudden it was on tv and it was like oh it's the woman from like the flintstones and a league of their own and like not someone like i thought about a lot or i don't even think i knew she was a stand-up uh she just all of a sudden had a show and it was also so jarring to see like the late night show set up like you know with the desk and the chairs and the band and and all the hallmarks of like a late night show uh on in the daytime like i remember seeing it and thinking like is this like a special preview of a late night show is this like you know Mm. uh you know something something other than what it was which was like the late night format in a daytime show for you know parents who didn't stay up late for uh you know, for anyone that didn't stay up late and for kids and for, you know, anyone who was around in the afternoon, which was great. And I very quickly became a fan. I, I too, remember being swept up in her enthusiasm for things, even if they weren't things I was necessarily enthusiastic about, which we'll talk about. I also remember like just, you know, a lot of awkwardness, a lot of strangeness, a lot of ideas that uh, seem weird in retrospect. And that's why, like, when we were talking about it, like, some things I had to talk through with you. Like, I don't... <laughs> like, I didn't even totally remember what they were. And I, I you know, I needed validation for certain things that I, I didn't totally know if they happened or not. So it it was almost therapeutic to go back through some of these clips online and uh, 
and and watch you know episodes that I hadn't seen in in over twenty years at this point. So let's talk about let's talk about we you know we watched some clips online. Uh, we've made some notes about some some memories we had, and and we went back and and looked at some of them. Well, let's start with you know the. Uh, the uh, Scientologist elephant in the room, which is uh, <laughs> oh, absolutely yeah, which is Tommy, as she, as Rosie called him, and that's Tommy. Right. Can you hear me? That's right. Yeah. She, oh, and that's the other thing. She had the electronic songs next to her desk, which was mm-hmm. <laughs> which was so cutting deal. edge for the time. It was, too. yeah, uh, yeah. And so she uh, had Tom Cruise on the show. I don't remember how it started, but I remember she always talked about Tom Cruise. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and how she had a crush on Tom Cruise. And then it became this thing where he agreed to come on the show and she had like a big countdown. She had like a Bristol board on her desk, like yes. counting down the days. And uh, and so we all watched like the interview. Um, what what did you guys think of the, the big Tom Cruise interview? I thought it was... Okay. I mean, I was trying to put it in context. I mean, this is Tom Cruise before everybody knew that he was, you know, a sort of weird cult aficionado. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's not a leader. I guess he's a sort of a leader. Kind of And, is. like, he, he, was, he didn't seem as weird in this sort of era. Like, he was just, like, he seemed very human. And also that he was very playful about Rosie's oversized crush, which I think, like, to most people would seem very menacing, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe this was before, like, he went all the way down the dark path or something like that. I'm not sure. Well, he still had Nicole with him, for one thing, maybe, Mm. like, keeping him sensible. I don't know. It's interesting that, like, the last time I was on, we were doing Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Which uh, is, this feels like almost the missing piece of that puzzle to me. Yes. Well, they would have been filming (laughs) Eyes Wide Shut while they did the Tom Cruise interview. They were living in London. In the subsequent interview with Nicole, that's what they they discuss how how they were, yeah, working on that film then. Yeah. Because he's he's still promoting Jerry Maguire, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And I remember now, I didn't remember until this moment, like, I remember when that trailer for Eyes Wide Shut came out and it was this huge, you know, scandalous deal. I remember her talking about it and being like, I don't, I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't, I don't like uh, <laughs> Tom being naked in, in this trailer and everything. I That's mean, an interesting aspect to her and to her sort of, like, beard crush story with Tom, because it's like... It's this super fan crush, but it all she always stressed that it was non-sexual even right. at the time. Yeah. She was always saying like she wanted him to mow her lawn and give her a coke. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which he actually did in the final episode. I don't know if, you know, if it's too early to talk about that. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the the closing image of the uh of the series. Oh, that's quite lovely. I like that. I didn't realize that. He also, I read an interview, like a recent interview, where she said that he still sends her flowers on her birthday every year. But now it's creepy because of the Scientology. (laughs) (laughs) They come with a a copy of Dianetics. (laughs) How are you? Good, darling. Good to see you. Good to see you. You look real good. So do you. Thank you. I'm nervous. You're nervous? I'm nervous. Don't be nervous. (laughs) You're my Tommy. You've 
been watching the show. <laughs> I got a, got a little crush on you. <laughs> you don't mind it, do you? No. No. Does no. it scare you a little bit? <laughs> Am I like an inch away from being a stalker? Because no. I, I fear that I may frighten your entire family. No, no. no it's all right. They love it. It's all right. Yeah. Nicole's all right with it, too. Oh, she, oh yeah. Absolutely. She knows. Absolutely. You know, it's not like I want the marriage to break up to me. I just want you to, like, live in my house and, and mow my lawn. That's all I want. <laughs> I find it's hard to, though, for me to even look back at something like that interview now. I remember at the time thinking that it was, like, fun and exciting for her. And he was such a big star. And there was something, like, kind of cool about how it went down. Watching it now, it's like, he's so enthusiastic. And he keeps, like, kissing her on the mouth and yeah. stuff. <laughs> And it does feel, I don't know if it's just sort of like knowing the whole context of him that I'm a bit like, why are you going so hard on this? And (laughs) there's a bit of an element of it's like, you're working so hard to seem like a human being right now. (laughs) They they were each other's beards, let's be honest. (laughs) Well, yeah. yeah. It was a cyclical (laughs) relationship. I mean, I, I don't think that he was her beard. She's even said like now, like that was not... You know, that was not a thing she did to deflect from her sexuality. That was, like you said, like it was just like this movie crush that was non-sexual and just this kind of obsession that she had. I mean, she can say that. I don't know if I 100% buy that. because I, she, I agree. She was obviously not allowed to mention being gay on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Yeah. Right? Like that was that was an edict that came down. And I wouldn't be surprised if she was also coached to be like, talk about, you know, men you think are <laughs> handsome in movies and stuff. I think what's interesting to that, me that would be though, taking that note to the extreme. <laughs> but there's you must something... make one heterosexual comment per episode. <laughs> I I I always find, and I think anybody who's like had the experience of like being closeted to any degree for any period of time is that like you kind of see you kind of catch other people's tells and there's a certain familiarity that you see and I remember even like as a kid the way that she would stress so hard that her crush was non-sexual I always found kind of weird because I was like well what would it matter if it was because yeah you're like a famous person he's a famous person I mean, we're used to seeing, you know, talk show hosts be like, oh, like, I have such a crush on this person. Like, I'd like to have sex yeah. with them. Like, that wouldn't be <laughs> so scandalous to me. And I feel like the 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 reason that she always stressed that is kind of her own personal integrity. I think that that was like the part of her that was like, I will say this, but I am not going to tell such a bald-faced lie as to, like, go on TV and tell everyone that I want to fuck Tom Cruise when I know that I absolutely don't. Yeah. You know? I I felt like that was her keeping, like, a part of herself true to herself, even though she knew she had to essentially go back in the closet to take that job. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. Like, a part of me, like, I I, I just feel like now she would come clean about that or you know she's she's such a frank honest person so like i mean she's certainly never 
indicated that it was dishonest or you know what i mean like i i don't know like i i don't know i just there's something about rosie o'donnell that is even like when she's like cringy or awkward or it's almost like a family member like she just seems like Mm -hmm. a genuinely good person who i like and even when she's saying something kind of uncomfortable or awkward or i don't agree (laughs) with it it's kind of like in a lovable way. So I, I don't know, like, I mean, that was something uh, I was thinking about a lot when doing this episode was the, yeah, like reconciling that, like, because that crush was a huge part of the show. Like, it wasn't just this one mm-hmm. interview. Like, it was, it dominated a lot of the conversation. Uh, it was the through line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like you said, it was even the last episode. I mean, in terms of her sexuality, too, like, in that article I sent you guys kind of about the history of the show, I thought it was interesting, like she said that she told the, was it the producers or whoever kind of like greenlit the show? She like told them that she was gay right off the bat. And she was like, basically said like, you know, if, if this comes out in the National Enquirer, I don't want you like coming to me and saying that I like misled you in any way. Like, so I I don't know. Like, she just seems like such a blunt person. So it's, it's hard to, uh, yeah, to wrap your head around the idea that she was maybe, uh, misleading people to a degree, or do you think that she was purely doing it as a as a business decision? I mean, I think there's an element of performance to it that isn't necessarily misleading. Like the character, if you if you suppose that she's playing a character, the character mm-hmm. of Rosie O'Donnell on the Rosie O'Donnell show, then I mean, it sort of makes sense for her character, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You know, like a comedy character is usually like a sort of desexualized creature, but like she's also playing somebody who is nice. Because Rosie, I mean, on her show, on the Rosie O'Donnell show, she's the queen of nice, but when she stopped doing that show, when she started doing things like The View, like all of a sudden it seemed like it was a different person almost, right? Because all of a sudden she wasn't. I mean, she wasn't putting up with bullshit. She wasn't putting on, like, a cheery, smiley face for everybody. She was being, yeah, way more blunt and way more, like, in your face about her opinions. That wasn't mm-hmm. what she was doing on The Rosie O'Donnell Show. That was almost, like, yeah, a different character. I think that's mm-hmm. a really good take on it. And I, because I was thinking something similar in the interview she does with Nicole Kidman, which is, I think, a couple of days after the Tom one. In that... It's almost, it's a full sort of comedy, like, uh, sketch performance, basically. (laughs) And it's hilarious. It's, like, I think it's really funny, that interview. And the way that, like, nothing she says in it is sincere. It's all ridiculous, right? And Nicole's like, oh, well, maybe, like, the three of us could get married. Yeah, they were going to start a throuple. And she just immediately, she's like, oh, well, I'd give up the show. The show's nothing, but I'm not going to share Tom. So we'll just have to wait a few years and see if, you know, your marriage falls apart. Right. And which is like hilariously prescient now. And not at all interested in Nicole, who, as we know from Eyes Wide Shut, has a nice butt. (laughs) Good point. Good point. I'm glad you stuck around for this episode. <laughs> uh, uh, well, okay, let's talk about an episode that uh, was the other huge kind of get for Rosie O'Donnell, which was Barbara Streisand. And as much as like watching the uh, Tom Cruise interview was uh, a little uncomfortable and a little cringy, and like he genuinely seemed uncomfortable, and it's also just weird in retrospect. 
I found the Barbara Streisand interview incredibly moving and uh, like a really great piece of television. Uh, and I do not care about Barbara Streisand at all, but you can tell just how much that uh, interview meant to Rosie O'Donnell, uh, even to the point where like, uh, like we were talking about, and I guess it's kind of notorious at this point, but like as part of the deal to get Barbara on the show, she had to flip her entire set. Oh, it looks so weird. I mean, yeah, you know, it's totally against the way that we in the Western world view images because we go left to right, left to right. right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and but, uh, but it's it was to get her her quote unquote good side is was was why they flipped it, and they did it for weeks in advance so it wouldn't be obvious that it was just for Streisand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's and apparently, like basically every talk show that she's been on has done this for her too, and like I, that's been yeah one of her demands. And watching the interview, all I could think of for half the interview was I was just trying to get a look at that other side to see if it was really that bad. And then I was yeah, thinking, like, too. well, that was just done the opposite of what she wanted. And I was like, isn't there like? A phrase for like when the Streisand effect. Yeah, it's like, oh right, it's the Streisand effect. Of course, and I mean, what I just kept because yeah, reading about all of that, it was on my mind as well. It's funny because I remember the set looking different even at the time the episode aired, but I think in that context, I just interpreted it as. This is not a normal episode. <laughs> I'm in a dream. She's coming in through Rosie's curtain. She's on the other side, and somehow that switch makes it feel more intimate. I, I just, I, I, it worked on me. I was fooled. But they put in that episode also so many clips and montages from the entire filmography of Barbara Streisand, and I realized that, like, clearly, in all of the movies that she's in. She's always filmed from the same side, too. You right. never see the other side of her face. She's like two-faced. Yeah. It's like the other side is just a skeleton. No, she's a full Harvey Dent, apparently. That, that's why her movie The Mirror Has Two Faces is such a misleading title. <laughs> <laughs> it's got half a face is best. <laughs> well, yeah, I I just thought... Did you guys watch like the lead-up to the show? Like Not just the interview, but kind of like the preamble yeah. and everything? Oh, yeah. I watched the full I thought episode. that was that was really funny when she was, you know, sitting at the desk and she was like, you know, this is the part of the show where I usually just talk about my personal life. She's like, well, I have diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. And then and then she bought brought Streisand out and uh and you know, like they both started crying and she was like, I feel like, you know, my dead mother like walked out and it was just so mean. And then I, and then I was crying watching this goddamn YouTube clip of Barbara Streisand, who again, I don't like don't <laughs> or you? care about in any way. Wow. <laughs> I, to be honest, I don't know enough to, to not like her, but uh, my point is like, I was, I was just so invested in that moment for Rosie mm. O'Donnell that happened 20 years ago. Like it was, it was kind of amazing. Like it was to see someone like, on a daytime talk show, which is, you know, usually the haven of garbage and insincerity, to see that, like, populated by a show where someone gets to, like, experience a lifelong dream. And uh, I don't know. If there was something, like, kind of magical about that moment. Am I, am I way off base? No, 100%. I, I'm, I'm absolutely there 
with you. It moved me at the time. And I was also like, I, I don't know, I was probably like 12 or something when that episode aired. And I was also myself a huge Barbara Streisand fan. I had already seen Yentl like multiple times by that point. You know, I'd, I'd seen Funny Girl and Funny Lady and Hello Dolly, On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, The Mirror Has Two Faces, all, all of the like major the major <laughs> works. And I, I would say that if you if you don't think you've given much time to Babs, she's probably like one of the most talented performers of the 20th century. And it's it's worth uh going back and checking out some of those films. I have literally seen none of the films in the montage that they did. It was foreign to me. Yeah. Like like Hello Dolly and Funny Girl are just massively, massively entertaining films and her performance in them and her like her singing voice like it's huge she's a great comedian and i mean as a director too like yentl is a pretty huge accomplishment and it's it's like a weird anyway i, I think i've made it clear <laughs> that i i had seen a barbara Streisand film or two uh by by the time i saw this episode and i i knew how much I remember I knew how much she loved Barbara and wanted her on the show. And I also knew what a recluse Babs can be and how she was often reluctant to give these kinds of interviews. Mm -hmm. And it was always kind of a thing that's like, oh, like, Rosie would love this so much. But, you know, it's probably not in the cards because, like, she has stage fright and she doesn't like doing this kind of thing. And it's probably not going to happen. So, like, knowing that she'd got it and she was going to be this full hour, like, I, I was so hyped up for it and i remember crying when i watched it when it aired and i remember having so much i mean still kind of being a kid and having so much energy and i think like my parents were home and i remember like i was watching it and they were doing something else and every commercial break i was like i like ran into the other room of the house to be like this just happened and give them like the sort of like play by play of everything they'd missed and i was like i can't believe anybody wouldn't be watching this right now as it's happening <laughs> and yeah it's just that yeah what what you're saying it's just like this is so clearly somebody's like life dream coming true before your eyes yeah and it's like I don't know. It's it's hard to not feel excited and happy for somebody that, like, that could happen to them. I have to tell you uh, a little self-indulgently that in many ways to me it feels like my mom walking oh, through the curtain so because I have to say that you were a don't constant... You're going to make me cry. I'm sorry. I, you know, I don't want to do anything that would upset you no. in any way, but... <laughs> constant source of light in an often dark childhood and you inspired me and gave me the courage to dream of a life better than the one I knew and I am profoundly grateful to you in so many ways and it goes pretty well too it does yeah and she had her back like they did like a episode not in the studio later on like a a sit down interview so Mm. yeah it must have gone pretty well I mean that's something about the show is it's it's it does feel and maybe it's not to this extent, it's probably not, but it does feel very off the cuff. It feels very natural. It feels like, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like a lot of other talk shows where you're just 
you know, going through the pre-interview points and, you know, and then plugging some, I mean, there are plugs, but it, it does feel like the, the show meanders, the show kind of, the show kind of uh, lives or dies on Rosie's enthusiasm. And that's why I think the show yeah. often does have really weird, awkward, not very good points uh, <laughs> to it. But I think like the reason why the show is sometimes bad is the same reason why when it was good, it was so good is because it's, you know, it's someone reacting to things a little more naturally or a little more, a little more off the cuff though. I, you know, I, I think it's somewhat deceptive in that regard, but you know, she did say like she wanted the show to be, to harken back to the days of like the Mike Douglas show or, you know, those kind of sixties and seventies talk shows where it was more of a conversation um, than mm-hmm. than it had become. I, I mean, watching it now, I was even thinking like, man, it's it almost feels like short bursts, like podcasts. You know what I mean? Like it feels like the kind of conversations we're used to more now on like long form podcasts than on talk shows. Because the it, you know, she basically just she asks probing questions, she asks loose questions, she allows for for tangents. Uh, I don't know. There's something kind of refreshing about that, yeah. but it can go awry. Yeah, I I was thinking it was it, it's a lot like podcasts in that she gets a certain intimacy from her guests that others might not. I mean, like in her interview with Madonna, she's just talking about like normal stuff in a way that seems crazy that it's like Madonna that she's talking to, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. talk about Madonna then, because they were obviously friends from a league of their yeah. own. And J- Johnny, you suggested talking about the Madonna interview. What stuck out to you about it? Uh well, I I feel like. That was sort of one of the known things about Rosie, especially in the early days of her show, was that she was like best friends with Madonna. <laughs> and and I think, you know, they were in that movie together, which is a pretty beloved film. And I think like their chemistry, like they're playing best friends in the movie. And they're a really like appealing and sort of believable duo. Yeah. And the idea that like that dynamic kind of translated over into real life, you were sort of like, oh yeah, of course these two people became friends for real after that, because like, you're so rooting for them as friends in that movie. And as this kind of like odd couple pair of friends. And uh, yeah, I don't know that, that particular episode where you've got uh, the ray of light era Madonna doing yoga with Rosie, that just feels like such a time capsule to me. I think they introduced yoga to white women. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're like, this is called downward dog. And she's like, downward dog. Like, it's just like, it's the first time this audience is hearing any of this. It's the first time those words were spoken on television. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. These things that now, like, you know, every Karen in the suburbs is, is, knows what downward dog is. And it's hilarious to see madonna be like here's a little secret from a celebrity that you won't have heard of she also brought uh henna tattoos as well it was like uh madonna just done her beatles trip to india yeah she it was like she went to england and imported all of these things back to america via steamship (laughs) (laughs) what else i mean there are some some big ones tom Selleck. oh Yikes. On the on the yeah. <laughs> on the less happy side of things, yeah, not uh, many kush balls maybe, in that interview. No, <laughs> <laughs> didn't do yoga. 
maybe one of her most famous interviews. Mm-hmm. How, how do we describe it? Tom Selleck, uh, the clips that are on YouTube seem to start in the middle of the sort of more confrontational parts. So I, yeah. I would love to have seen the full clip where like Tom Selleck comes out and banters about something fun for a few minutes and then it <laughs> segues into gun control. But it was right after Columbine and Tom Selleck was like an NRA spokesman mm-hmm. and Rosie brought up gun control and assault weapons and Tom Selleck wanted to talk about some dumb fucking movies and, and did not want yeah. to talk about that at all. Mm-hmm. And I think probably that interview is kind of basically the end of his career as an actor. Mm. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you if know? you don't count all the made-for-TV like, movies that he's done since. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I feel like sort of prior to that, you know, obviously he's kind of past his heyday, but he's doing, you know, pretty high-profile recurring character on Friends. Like, he was still kind of in the mix and in the conversation. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I it's 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 a hard and weird and interesting interview to watch. It's like it's crazy to see somebody like immediately after Columbine being like pro NRA. Like, yeah. And I guess he filmed a commercial for them and he kept saying, like, I'm not a spokesperson for them. And I think her point was sort of like, well, if you're starring in their commercial, then I think yeah. that does describe what you are pretty literally. He was literally a spokesman for the NRA. <laughs> and on top of that, he was famous. He was most fa- The thing people knew him from was playing a character whose name was a gun. <laughs> like, yeah. No reason not yeah. to talk to Tom Selleck about that. I thought he was named after the condoms. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I f- <laughs> Uh, or the ice cream yeah, bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I just found like watching her in that moment is really fascinating, and I think you see her wrestling between the two kind of modes that she has. Like you see kind of a glimpse of the like super opinionated, like doesn't take shit from any Rosie that came out later on the View, mm. with her trying to still be. This balanced, everybody's best friend, Rosie O'Donnell show, Rosie. And the reason that she can't just stay in that mode is that because the topic is protecting children. And it's clearly like the most important thing to her, right? I mean, that's that's just always clearly like kids are such a huge thing for her. She's She adopted, I think, five kids herself, right? She was always involved in, like, children's charities. And I think, like, JM, what you're saying about, like, it feeling sort of like a talk show for kids, I feel like a big part of that is, like, she involved, like, kids and tweens and teens in so many Mm -hmm. segments. Oh, yeah. Like, was just obviously, like... And I mean, I don't know. And then on the in the more sort of recent revelations that, like, as a child, she was sexually assaulted by her father. I feel like you can kind of feel this intense need that she has to, like help and protect children and try to like give them a positive childhood. And so you've got like right after this horrible tragedy where these children have been like murdered and she's trying so hard to like keep it cute and help a celebrity promote a film. And she just can't. It's like, 
yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was interesting, and it made me like really feel for her in that moment. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting. Again, like I joked about her and Madonna introducing yoga to white women, but it's also sort of it seemed like an interesting point where like the new progressive whatever was starting to sort of like begin like that was a sort of like new celebrity sort of awakening and like the split between left and right uh in particular in hollywood because i think before that before columbine and before 9-11 like hollywood was just sort of conservative and everyone just sort of like didn't care about it like yeah reagan was president most of the actors were probably republicans and there wasn't like a sort of like social consciousness like there is today like maybe tim robbins would march or something with susan sarandon well no i i think i think there was always an element to that i mean look at like jane fonda or someone like that. yeah but, but i mean like this is where i, I think I know it sort of mean, came yeah. into like a greater public awareness it seemed like a very like important moment you know and i i just remember hearing about it like even i'm not sure that i saw the episode but i remember hearing about it like on the news and all, and she like lost. What was the Kmart thing? She, she was like a spokesperson for Kmart at the time, and yeah, yeah, she and Penny Marshall did all those ads together. Yeah, and it was. I think what happened was she called out Tom Selleck in this interview, and that made headlines. And then she was always. Uh, I don't know if feuding's the right word because I think he was just attacking her, but like she had a thing with Howard Stern where he was like always making fun of her or something and he called out the hypocrisy of her calling out Tom Selleck and, and you know, being uh, pro-gun control and then starring in these spots for Kmart, who at the time was like one of the biggest gun retailers right. in the country. And to Rosie's credit, like she stopped, from what I remember, I think she stopped doing those Kmart commercials after, you know, that realization. And, you know, I remember, I don't know if you guys listened to her when she was on uh, WTF, but she was talking about, about like that period, about like Columbine and stuff and like having that feeling of being like, I'm a celebrity and I have a show that reaches millions and millions of people. Like I can do something to help and then like you know the realization that you ultimately can't uh even with you know all of this celebrity and attention and and you know a certain degree of power and like that was something that really like fueled her depression was was not being able to to do something about these tragedies so i i mean it's kind of an important moment for for her and the show, I think, this uh, interview. It also makes me, like, respect her a lot more. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, not a lot of people had the... Uh, nobody was calling calling out celebrities at that point in time, particularly about those sort of issues. Mm-hmm. And she's... I mean, it's, it's funny, because I think even by the standards that we would expect from her later, she's still pretty nice about it. She yeah. apologizes <laughs> to him so many times. She still plugs his fucking movie <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah. Like, he is a lot more, like, surly than her. She's very excited and passionate. Mm-hmm. I think he's sort of a lot more unpleasant than she is. 
Yeah, no, he seemed like just uncomfortable and just started, he almost seemed like drunk or something. Like he just started mm-hmm. like, yeah, not even want it, slouching. And it, it, it was funny, like he, w- he would say things that seemed like, you know, if half the audience were like conservatives or, you know, were on his side, like he would say things that seemed like applause lines and then would just pause, but it was just like deafening silence in the studio. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of amazing. Yeah. I should mention, I did go, like, when I was in high school, I went to NBC, like, the I went on a school trip to New York, and they, like, signed us up for the NBC tour, and they took us into that studio that had Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, wow. I had a different show. Wow. I don't think it was Caroline Ray. It was, like, some other talk show, and it was very small. Like, it was way, mm. way smaller than you would think based on the way it was filmed. It was kind of surprising. Let's talk about one more thing, and then we'll go to a quick break. I wanted to talk about this, like, I remembered it as her neighbor, but Johnny, you you corrected me, and it was uh, a woman that claimed that she knew more about Mary Tyler Moore and the <laughs> yes, Mary Tyler Moore Davina. show. Yeah, Davina. And so they had her on to do a trivia contest about Mary Tyler Moore, and then they, like, disputed it in the people's court. Right. With Mayor Egg Kosh. Right. Yeah. So weird. remember when like former New York mayors just went on uh, celebrity talk shows and court TV shows instead of trying to, you know, treason? <laughs> yeah. Different times. Yeah. That was it was it was a whole running bit there where they would show video. It was the idea seemed to be that this woman, Davina, was just sending this series of taunting <laughs> videos to Rosie being like, Oh, like she would say some obscure piece of information about like Mary Tyler Moore Rhoda and be like, bet you didn't know that Rosie, like, but you forgot about that one, like implying that she was this sort of 70s trivia master. Right. And it was this whole, I think it might have even been like a three episode stunt because there were, I think in my, I believe it was like there was like part one where they played some kind of trivia game styled after one game show. And it was like a tie. So they had a tiebreaker episode where it was like, I feel like they were doing, I can't even remember, but it was like they did their version of Jeopardy or their version of The Price is Right. But it was all about right. Yeah, trivia. I saw that clip. Uh, yeah. They played a whole round. It's and very, then, very close. Then the cast of Rent came out and sang a song <laughs> like sang a song about it and <laughs> then they did. did and then they settled it all in the people's court right. <laughs> and then the the controversy at the time was that it came out that Davina was an actor mm. yeah which of course she was like and I think my recollection is like she was on a thing because I think I also saw her like in a show and was like, that's weird. That's <laughs> like the woman who was doing trivia on the Rosie show. And so mm-hmm. I think other people saw that to the point where she had to address it on the show and be like, yes, this woman is like a working actor, but that's just a coincidence. Like it wasn't staged. Like that just happens to be her job. And it's like, I, I don't know what to believe now. All right, now, ladies, hands on the buzzers, because I am ready to bring it on. All right. Bring it on. Okay. Let's go. Bring it on. Bring All it right. On. The first round of 
questions yes. are each worth 100 points. 100 for me. Now, the first to buzz in gets to answer. Okay. If you get it wrong, yes. your opponent gets a chance to answer. Will never happen, Mary. All right. Oh. It's okay, Davina. It's all right. Don't fight, ladies. Oh, sorry. Please don't. <laughs> sorry, Mary. Just excited. It's it's hard to know what to believe. Yeah, I mean, I I looked up her IMDb and she's been in tons of stuff. Also, just like I don't really think someone who wasn't an actor would have been able to, you know, carry three episodes yeah. of the show right. as Rosie's she was foil. So like, she, it was it was a real job that she had to do. As to whether like she did genuinely just start sending the videos to Rosie or if it was something just totally invented whole cloth by the producers I don't know maybe she was someone who was friends with Rosie or I mean it does seem like if some crank just started sending in videos of themselves to the show would they put a random person on the air (laughs) in that context maybe not I I don't know it was good TV so who cares is my take yeah, totally. Uh, I don't even know what to believe about that. Maybe someday we'll find out. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We've got trivia when we come back and more, much more to talk about in terms of the Rosie O'Donnell show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We're back on Rewatchability. We're talking about the Rosie O'Donnell show with Johnny Walker. Um, it's the Rosie O'Donnell show. She had a great theme yeah. song. Oh, awesome. That was yeah. good. Very swinging. And also I like the like having an audience member like introduce the show. I also really like that. There was a really nice one for this random episode I watched where it was this couple who got married at a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole all, everyone in the audience had donuts under their seat and they all ate the donuts it was nice it was very like yeah you know common people <laughs> those were people she weren't did, actors you know all of those like gimmicks and stunts and you know like we said like game show games like those have become the standard for late night talk shows like think about all the like jimmy fallon lip sync things or you know carpool karaoke like i don't think the people did that um so much back at the time i think that was that was something she pioneered no it might be i think one so. thing i noticed though is that uh you know rosie's sort of a sore loser like <laughs> there's this when she has jk rowling on there's this kid who does harry potter trivia and this kid fucking aces the Harry Potter trivia. She mixes up Ravenclaw and calls it Ravencliff. And she sort of yeah. just steamrolls right past it and pretends that it was a tie. Mm-hmm. It's like, and then, you know, J.K. Rowling, I think, has to be like, no, Rosie. <laughs> but also, also, whenever it comes out to, like, giving out prizes, I mean, when they give away things on TV shows, it's all, like, promotional items or whatever. And, you know, it's like a quiz or something. Like, the person will get it wrong and Rosie will be like... Okay, well, you didn't get it. And then the the guest, Madonna, 
or whoever will be like, give them the fucking <laughs> CD player, Rosie. <laughs> no, no, we're just going to take it in the back and uh, and burn them. <laughs> no one won. She wants you to follow the rules. Well, let's do a quick trivia round. Then we'll talk about some more highlights from the show. Which Christmas toy craze was enabled, perhaps even created, by the toy's appearance on the Rosie O'Donnell Boop, show? Boop. Tickle Me Elmo. That's right. Tickle Me Elmo. I buzzed in. I... <laughs> oh, is that, is that what that was? <laughs> oh, I, I do. Yeah. I, that, we've never done that before, so that's okay. No. I thought that was just some like, light holy work from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I yeah, was going to say was... Tickle Me Elmo as well. It was the mm-hmm. Tickle Me Elmo. They sent one, uh, the toy company, Tyco, sent one to Rosie O'Donnell for her son and 200 for, uh, I guess, the rest of the staff. And they had, uh, they started doing like a you bet your life kind of thing where if guests said the secret word, they'd get a Tickle Me Elmo. And if they did not, they did not, unless Madonna happened to intercede on their behalf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, that kind of helped uh, perpetuate that. Yeah, if if people weren't around or don't remember, you know, that was a huge thing. The tickle me Elmo. Oh yeah, oh my god. Oh, you could you couldn't get them right. People no. were spending like thousands of dollars on eBay to get them for their kids. Yeah, and and there were like bootleg ones. And <laughs> it was like a whole thing. And this is you know no. before like you know. <laughs> third-party vendors on the internet or something like you would have to like if you wanted to buy like one for a thousand dollars you'd have to go meet a guy in the alley or something yeah. it would probably was it be before or after the rosie o'doll right yeah that's another thing you mentioned i didn't remember that yeah there was a doll kind of like shaped like the cartoon from the opening mm-hmm. did people buy that it was for charity right I, that's yeah on, on her birthday episode she asked everybody for her birthday to buy one of those dolls and it went to charity because it would be weird if it didn't uh. go to charity <laughs> <laughs> it all goes to barbara streisand <laughs> i th- i didn't remember that doll being kind of a big deal like i kind of wanted one right sure. which is that's like a weird thing to have but like <laughs> i i was into it i liked her uh okay question number two this one it gets a little tougher here which celebrity was banned from the show Ooh. Ooh. There are apparently a few, but one <laughs> one she is named. Hmm. Did Bobcat Goldwaith light her chair on fire too? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm stu- the idea of someone being turned away from the Rosie O'Donnell show seems like anathema to its spirit. I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, it was uh, it was Leaf Garrett. What? <laughs> Uh, who's was like a singer and an actor, right? He's uh, he was on the show, I think, promoting a documentary about him and uh, and his tragic life, right? Yeah, it was about like his tragic life and all his drug use. And apparently, uh, even though they talk about that in the interview, he was still using drugs at the time. And Rosie said like he had he burned himself in the green room with by like smoking crack in there, which he denies. But apparently he was on the banned list. She didn't confirm that he was officially banned, but Rosie also had a, a not great story about bill cosby Ooh. yeah making a, a lewd gesture of sorts to a producer yeah uh, enough said well 
Okay, this uh, this last question is not so much about the show itself, but about Rosie O'Donnell. And I was reminded, I watched, did you guys watch the David Bowie interview? No. Yes, yeah, I did. That was good. They were, they were friends, apparently. They were talking about like getting together <laughs> over mm-hmm. Christmas and stuff. We were going to do a record together. <laughs> <laughs> Ziggy meets Rosie. <laughs> Well, I feel like that's part of her whole, like, America's best friend vibe is that often she would have these huge celebrity guests that she just did seem to legitimately, you know, that they're the David Bowie's like, why couldn't you come for Christmas dinner? (laughs) And she's and like Iman comes out and she's like imitating Iman's voice, which sounds like it would be so cringeworthy. But I found in the context of the interview, I was like. She can get away with this because you can tell that they're actually friends. Yeah. And this is her, like, teasing her friends. Well, she also kept saying, like, or she told David Bowie that she always wanted him to play China Girl, which was her favorite song. It's like, <laughs> no, Rosie, that's the most racist song <laughs> of all of the Bowie songs. And then he sang, he changed the lyrics to Rosie Girl and sang it to her. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, I watched a subsequent appearance that he did on the show and he did perform China Girl in full oh no. on a later episode <laughs> because she wanted it so much. Wow. That's kind of like, yeah, he seemed, they seemed to genuinely uh, get along. That's sweet. Well, that's nice. But so the, the reason why they're friends, as they say in the interview, is she befriended Iman because they were in a movie together. That movie was Exit to Eden. Do you remember the like BDSM movie with Rosie O'Donnell and Dan Aykroyd? Oh, I remember that VHS yeah. cover very well. I never rented it, but I would always walk by it and be like, "What on earth is this?" <laughs> I think we should, and she would bring it up on the show oh, a yeah. lot, in, in in instead of shame and horror. I think we should do it on the sh- on the podcast at some at some point next but, week. Uh, so, yeah, Rosie Month. You know. <laughs> I I am absolutely down to to pop that particular cherry with you. Well, boys. We, if people tweet at us and say they want us to actually do it, we'll do it. Um, who? Okay, so my question is: Who wrote the novel that Exit to Eden was based on? It was like a real, like I guess, like erotic novel that was then transformed into like a buddy cop movie starring Dan Aykroyd and Rosie O'Donnell. So who, oh my God. who wrote the original novel? Uh, I'm just going to say the Marquis de Sade. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is it like like a Danielle Steele or a Jackie Collins or something? Uh, close. It's It was uh, Anne Rice. What? <laughs> uh, she wrote it under the pen name Anne Rampling. I, because it wasn't about vampires, oh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it did suck. I mean, I assume. <laughs> yeah, so I just thought that was weird. Wow. Um, I want to see it so much right now. <laughs> yes. No, I, I I, will see if it's streaming as soon as this uh, episode's done. Um, okay, Rob mentioned it earlier, but uh, one thing we wanted to talk about was Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling. And, like... Rosie was definitely like I it was popular already but she was an early adopter of Harry Potter. Like I don't think personally I'd heard of Harry Potter until she started talking about it on the show. Um and like had JK Rowling on as a guest. I think so um, too. I think that's where I heard about Harry Potter as well for the first time when it was in books. <laughs> um I had actually heard of Harry Potter before <laughs> because 
uh, my godmother had some, was like really into sort of British fantasy and children's literature and had some kind of connection and had like ordered the books for me from England. Oh, wow. But I, it was like at a point where I don't think that they were available or maybe just not widely available in North America. And yeah, I think, and I, I, re- I remember like reading those books and people being like, what is that? What are you, what's this weird kid's book that you're reading that they never heard of it? So I think Rosie was really the person who brought, like, I think the the phenomenon had begun in the UK, but she's really the person who brought it to North America. It, it's so weird in the episode where she has J.K. Rowling. Um, they, like, they're talking about all the characters, but she doesn't know how to pronounce any of their names. Like, Hermione is like, <laughs> Herman One. <laughs> Some kid writes in and calls, uh, and calls uh, Ginny Guinea, I think. And yeah. It's like... It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, well, she also like when she introduces well. her, she says like it's uh, the author of uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Abascan or something. <laughs> like she totally, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say she says the title wrong multiple <laughs> times, which is fine. I, I mean, like it's that the kind it's of endearing. thing. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, like yeah. If you, if you hadn't said it out loud before, but it's just funny that. Uh, that she mm-hmm. said it so many times so to the she, person who wrote it. She just has that great sort of like American confidence where like not being that informed is no barrier to discussing something. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, it was also like, yeah, J.K. Rowling seems super uncomfortable throughout the whole interview uh, in that first interview. Like she didn't seem... Uh, it did it. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to think the books even caught on because that interview did not make <laughs> did not make me want to read those books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also thought it was funny that like J.K. Rowling was talking about how like you know she only adopted the name J.K. because her publisher insisted on it because they thought it would like alienate young boys if they knew it was written by a woman, which is common knowledge. But and then she said like that her friends uh, made fun of her and called her Jake. <laughs> you, you see that? That's mm-hmm. funny. It's like, oh, so you're uncomfortable that uh, you're being misgendered by people. That's interesting. Yeah, because you know, obfuscating your gender is only permissible if it's for personal financial gain. If you're J.K. <laughs> Rowling, like that's. I love that. Just, I mean, the her her old turfy nonsense is just so hilarious. Where it's like. This is somebody who multiple times, like, both through her, like, through the JK and then through, like, publishing those other books under a pseudonym that's male, that she's like, what? Somebody using, like, a gendered name that they they weren't given at birth? It must be a swindle. <laughs> and I should know, because it's a swindle I've done myself time and time again. She's like, someone's up to something, because I'm always up to something when I'm lying about my gender, and you're lying about yours to get, pull something over on me. Think that that's her perspective. Do you think the whole her whole like transphobic agenda is just about her concerns about like competition in the publishing sphere? <laughs> She's like, oh, coming for my gig, huh? I don't know. I, th- I think it's that tied with some whole sort of like moaning Myrtle paranoia about toilets that I don't fully understand that I think she needs to see a therapist about. That was, that's the thing that was so weird is like in that essay she wrote, she was like saying worried about trans people using uh, 
the women's bathroom. It's like you wrote an entire book about like two 13 year old boys hanging out in the girls' bathroom, and we were all supposed to think that was fun. Uh, yeah, is that what happens in I, Harry Potter? I just. <laughs> I I was I was I was not planning on on, on reading this, but I did check the other day because I, I kept thinking about the weirdness of the character moaning Myrtle in connection to her extreme trans bathroom paranoia, and this this is what moaning Myrtle says when she explains what happened to her. Anyway, what really got me was that it was a boy speaking, so I unlocked the door to tell him to go and use his own toilet, and then I died. (laughs) And I think that that just really tells you everything you need to know about J.K. Rowling. Oh, shit. Wow. What a maniac. And what a what a weird what a weird monster for Rosie O'Donnell to be so responsible for. <laughs> um and in a similar way, and I mean I don't know if the if the figures bear this out, but I always got the impression that she was also pretty instrumental in the explosion of Amazon on a in a pretty related way. Like she talked about Amazon all the time and she talked about it in connection to those books because she was like, I love these kids books. They're they're in England. I can't get them. I found this cool website where you can get all these books. Everyone should go look at this website. And now look at the world Rosie O'Donnell has left Is us. Is it possible with. that she was just paid ridiculous amounts of money to promote Amazon? <laughs> Probably. I mean, we were. <laughs> I re- earlier this christmas i was uh you know i took such uh painstaking lengths to to avoid amazon and buy uh all of our gifts at at local you know stores uh that that i wanted to support and then uh i checked on one of our podcasts so i was like oh i'll just make sure this uh, all sounds okay and i started playing and the first thing that played was an amazon ad womp <laughs> womp uh, but uh, she also had uh, the actors on, the kid actors. Did you guys see that clip? No. She no. had the little kids when the movie was coming out. Um, it was cute. No. And she talked about this in another J.K. Rowling interview, too, about how like she called Chris Columbus and asked to be in the movie because she wanted to yeah. play, like you said, Johnny, she wanted to play Mrs. Weasley. And apparently she called Chris Columbus up and was like, I'll do it for free. And uh, Chris Columbus was like, no, sorry, we're only doing uh, British actors. And she seemed pretty mad about it because she continually brought it up to the actors and writer of the film. <laughs> uh, and she was like, she was talking to J.K. Rowling about it and saying how like uh, pissed off she was. And uh, J.K. Rowling was like, can you do a London accent? She was like, yeah, sure. Like, uh, like my dad's from Ireland. Of course I can do a London accent. Hello, governor. <laughs> and J.K. Rowling was like, no, no, that that is Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins. Like, that's, that's awful. And uh, it wasn't brought up again. Wow. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't have cast her in a role that required her to do an accent. I think they could have given her, like, a little cameo. I think so, too. I was Why thinking not? the same thing. You know, you know who I thought of in that first movie? What about the broomstick teacher woman that could have Madam Hooch sure 
that that went to to classic British character actors. Zoe Wanamaker. I give it to Rosie. I don't even think she was in any of the other <laughs> movies. Like there could have been one American there. I've been to England. I've met Americans in England. There, it's not all you know one thing. I don't. I, I, I like. I agree but with do you. They, they could have Hogwarts? given her something. <laughs> I think somewhere in that entire franchise, there could have been a scene where, you know, like, Harry flies his broomstick overhead and, you know, cut to Rosie O'Donnell on the street being like, oh, my God. Like, that, firing a koosh ball at him. That would have been I mean, nice. <laughs> maybe they could have. But, I mean, it is also kind of, like, galling for Rosie O'Donnell to be like, I should have this role in this thing that I have nothing to do with, really. I mean, she did promote it. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, like, she promotes lots of things. And it's sort of like, that sort of brings up one thing that I found, maybe just watching a lot of these clips out of context, is that, like, the Rosie O'Donnell show is all about entertaining Rosie O'Donnell and all of her, like... (laughs) interests and needs and wants and and you know her her moods and like the audience is sort of secondary i mean it's not that she doesn't like invite them in because she does she's really good at like reaching out and bringing them in but like as a prerequisite you have to sort of be interested in what rosie's interested in you just have to take that as like you know the theme of the show she's not necessarily doing it for the audience She's doing it for herself, and it's enjoyable for us. I think. What do you What do you guys think? But I think that makes sense. I mean, I think any talk show, like the best, you know, interactions you get are when the host is genuinely invested in the guests, and not just you know, going through the motions to promote something. So I, yeah, I, I love that that that's what made the show work. I think my my counterpoint would be that like I, up to to this point and even well beyond the vast majority of these styles of talk shows are exclusively hosted by straight white men and I think like pretty uh you know infused with their perspective and their interests and I mean I always felt pretty um unincluded in those like i i really disliked most late night talk shows growing up like watching like letterman and leno i was just like there is i don't see anything in this that is like my interests or my point of view or like relatable um so i don't know i i found it like a like a refreshing change of pace from the the boys club of uh, of late night talk shows that still exists. Well, in sure, so many sure. Ways. I mean, absolutely. She's like, you know, coming from a different perspective and all that. But I do mean like, you know, she she's not like servicing like the like the stuff that's being promoted necessarily. And, you know, like that's what works. But it is it is sort of like about her. Like if if a if a male talk show host had like a crush on like a female guest the way that uh, Rosie had on Tom Cruise. I mean, that would be like a huge. That would be like a notable thing. I mean, all male talk show hosts hit on all of their female guests. Like any any time Conan sits down with uh, any woman at all, it's uh, always super awkward. But like, there's not like <laughs> there's not like that level of like obsession about like her like pet uh, themes or her pet topics or like. Well, you know, but. 
I think to to Johnny's point and in response to your point, I think like the fact that it has been that kind of boys club for decades and decades, like created such a space that she could fill it with uh, with more of her own like personal stuff or her own like interests. I don't know. Like, I yeah, I, I, I think you're totally right. And I think it's totally crazy that uh, I wasn't even thinking about it, but like the, the entertainment industry didn't learn a lesson from the Rosie O'Donnell show, which was certainly one of the most beloved and popular talk shows of our lifetime. Like the fact that like, you know, 20 years later, the talk show, you know, the kind of mainstream Hollywood talk show circuit is still populated by straight white men. Like you said, I think at least three quarters of which are named Jimmy. Uh, (laughs) The -hmm. fact that like that's that we still haven't like made room for another female host doing the same thing is kind of crazy. Like given like how much of a phenomenon this show was like, like we said, it, it spurred other phenomenons like there like the the tickle me elmo the harry potter amazon like this show was a pop culture juggernaut so yeah why are they not creating space for uh you know for voices like rosie today like it even like for you know again to what you were saying rob like it was so in a way it was idiosyncratic because she's such a character uh, but like it was that idiosyncratic. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck this up. Idiosyncrasy, idiosyncras, Hermione, Hermione, <laughs> uh, Herman one, Hermy one. But it, it was it was her, you know, specific likes and dislikes that is what engaged so so many people. Because like I mean, the show probably at its inception was like designed for like you know stay-at-home moms or like middle-aged women but like we said it you know it reached us as like you know 13 year old boys or however old we were so i think there is something uh when you have a character who's like or a person who's like engaging and funny and even if like especially when it's you know things they're passionate about or things that they're driving um from their own like passions i think that makes it like so much more engaging so easier to latch on to i think she changed the game in a number in a number of ways you know yeah i mean i think you see the kind of like more like gamey kind of things you see on late night now i think is like coming out of her influence in a way even though i I, to me it's it's taking it in a much more sort of like special little boy camp counselor way with like James Corden and, uh, and Jimmy Fallon that I don't find as appealing personally. (laughs) Um, and I think, you you know, I think her impact on Oprah is really interesting too, where like previous to the Rosie O'Donnell show, a lot of daytime talk show was trash TV. And I think a lot of people forget too, that in the earlier years of Oprah's show, it was it was a bit more in that direction. It was a bit more like sensational interviews and sort of the like lurid human mm-hmm. interest stories. And I think post Rosie, it became more celeb interviews, favorite things like that kind of stuff. And I think the shows really influenced each other, and there was a lot of back and forth. And then, I mean. They tried to uh, pass the show on to Carolyn Ray, which obviously didn't really didn't have take. the magic. But then, no. But I mean, the the true successor of Rosie is definitely sure. Ellen. 
Well, let's let's talk right about down that. To being a, an afternoon lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, the Ellen interview, which we also watched, which uh, came on the heels of like her character coming out. I can't remember like the chronology of Ellen. I think it was, was on it the foot the... of her character coming out. Like she hadn't done it yet, but right. there were there were rumors that it was going to happen that season. So mm-hmm. this was sort of like almost like setting it up. Was it that was Ellen out and then there were rumors that her character was going to come out? Her I character definitely came out first. Really? Did no, she? that doesn't sound right. Then why would people... When was the, yep, I'm gay right. cover? <laughs> That's the question, mm. right? Like, that was her big public... I remember on SNL, uh, the Norm MacDonald weekend update was had that cover and said, Ellen announced, yep, I'm gay. It's like, And in a follow-up uh, cover story, Richard Simmons announced, yep, I'm very, very gay. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like the exact same cover with Richard Simmons. Uh, yeah, uh, so she comes on. Uh, it's hard to watch because, like, I did hear some people saying, like, uh, in the wake of, like, the allegations about how Ellen treats her staff and stuff, like, I did see some people saying, like, as a counterpoint, like, Rosie could be tough, but she was very good to her staff and like you know one of the big things she did which we haven't talked about yet was she had uh, such a predominantly female staff so she built a daycare in her offices mm-hmm. so uh so that her uh staff and guests and whoever needed it could have free daycare which is amazing and uh, that's incredible yeah. yeah and like people talked about it like uh i can't remember which episode it was i was Oh, it's Mr. Rogers. I saw watch Mr. Rogers and he was talking about it. And uh yeah, so like there's something uh yeah, something even though like you said like she paved the way for Ellen in light of all we've learned about Ellen like in a lot of ways they seem kind of antithetical to each other. Um mm-hmm. yeah. But so the, they yeah, they have this interview where it's, you know, there's the rumors that her character on the sitcom is going to come out. And I guess I didn't think much about it when I was watching it, but like reading up about it afterwards i guess it was like rosie was perhaps not concerned but like she was trying to thread that needle of how do i talk about ellen's sexuality ellen's gayness coming out on tv and you know how do i relate to that without outright you know lying about uh you know about myself and they kind of do this bit where Ellen says yes it's going to be revealed that my character is Lebanese and Rosie says something to the effect of like I'm Lebanese too and Ellen's like I always kind of thought you were (laughs) so it was kind of this just like winking thing where they were able to talk about it through this kind of filter of comedy uh, which was kind of funny Um, what did you guys think of that I thought that was great I I thought it was really cool. I mean, it's again, it's sort of it's Rosie performing this like character bit, right? Like it, more than it is like a genuine interview. It's like it's a comedy mm. routine, and it allows her to to occupy this very complicated sort of glass closet space where she's sort of like, okay, so there's people in the know who know I'm a lesbian. There's a lot of people who don't. And I'm going to do this kind of dog whistle where it's like, here's a friendly wink 
to my friends who know how weird it is to be like, we're these two lesbian stand-up comedians like from a similar time talking about how one of them is going to come out on TV and the other one is clearly not, but like uh, participating in it and not being totally hypocritical. It's interesting too, because I remember I didn't, it never recurred to me as a kid watching the show that Rosie might be gay. Um, Even though the Tom Cruise crush had a bit of a red flag for me. I was like, I don't quite know what this woman's deal is, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't necessarily clock that, even though, I mean, you know, you see her performance in A League of Their Own, and how could you possibly not assume that that's a lesbian? Right. Um, but for, I think also, there was a, her her band leader, John McDee yeah. of the McDee John LT, McDaniel. Yeah, was so clearly gay which they also never discussed. But again, it was this kind of like, you couldn't, it's just, it's just singing out of him. It's so obvious. Well, that was what was weird about reading that article about like the making of the show. And he was talking about like, cause you know, he wasn't like a TV guy. So he was saying like, suddenly I was in the space where I was like chatting with a friend, but I wasn't able to like reference my partner. And he was like, and that was really weird. And it, there was also this additional weirdness of it, like it was clearly the gayest show on TV. Like it was like, yeah, like oh, you said, yeah. they brought in Broadway performers. Like if there was like a moments of a moment of silence, like they, it was, you know, it was so much, uh, you know, lavish, extravagant, extravagant. You know, they devoted an hour to Barbara Streisand. I mean, like, but the mm-hmm. fact that they couldn't even have like the band leader who is on every episode, like mention their partner. It's just this insane level of like, yeah, like uh, cognitive dissonance that had to exist in nineties television. It's strange. Well, it was, it was all kind of don't ask, don't tell. Right. right? I feel like that's, that's (laughs) the the flavor of the season they were living in. Uh, I, I do. There's a few things I want to hit up quickly before we wrap up. Uh, Star Wars was also coming out around that time. Um, so she had a lot of Star Wars people on. George Lucas was on. Uh, that was weird. Uh, Natalie Portman. Uh, Liam Neeson came on to promote uh, The Phantom Menace and kind of spoiled the ending <laughs> because uh, Rosie was like, so are you going to be in the next one, number two? And he was just like, because uh, <laughs> this character gets killed and then she uh, uh, felt bad. Uh, and speaking of spoiling endings, uh, Rosie O'Donnell, did you guys read about this? That she spoiled the ending to Fight Club? Yeah, right. like not accidentally. Yeah. Like she saw like a preview screening of it, hated it, like really just didn't like it and thought it was like a a bad movie, like a, a morally mm-hmm. reprehensible movie and like went out and told people not to see it and gave away the ending uh, to, to help <laughs> convince people not to go see it. Wow. And like they were fucking pissed. Like they talk about that in like the DVD commentary for the movie. That's so wild. Uh, <laughs> what else did I want to talk about oh quickly um, yeah I did watch the Mr. Rogers episode that was really great you should watch that if you haven't Um, there was a weird thing she had with Christopher Walken right where 
she just talked about like how he creeped her out and she thought he was scary. Mm. And I mean, fair. yeah, but it's also like, I don't know, like he, it's funny, but it was also like pre, you know, like internet or YouTube. So that like, I mean, now like you would just Google Christopher Walken and find out he was like a song and dance guy. Yeah. Like, they have so much in common. I know. Like if she watched that scene from pennies but, from heaven, like she wouldn't be scared of him. But my memory is that when she had him on, she showed that scene from pennies. Oh, from did heaven. she? I don't remember that. Cause I, I remember seeing that clip on the Rosie O'Donnell show and being like, Whoa, like, this mm. is a side of Christopher Walken I never expected. Well, I just the only thing I remember from him coming on was like she talked about how scary she thought he was, and then he they brought him on and she was talking about like how apprehensive she was and she wasn't sure she wanted to do it. And then he came out and he came out carrying this mysterious black box with like a <laughs> skull and crossbones on it. And she was like seriously looked like she was like freaking out. And then he slowly walked over to her and opened it up and pulled out like a bouquet of roses and handed it to her. And the rest of the interview was normal, but. (laughs) Uh, I have a memory about her. Like, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like there was an episode where she had Harvey Keitel on and then was talking about a movie in which he had a nude scene uh, of which there uh, there's several candidates. Bad Lieutenant, The Piano. And... Yeah, I think probably The Piano. And then she was like, I saw your penis. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair. Which is yeah. always, it's always a thing what you can say to Harvey say? Keitel the next time you run into him. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I guess it's like you, you, you did, you did Rosie O'Donnell. I also, the other thing I remembered, and I remembered this being an awkward thing. And then I went back and rewatched it. Uh, and it wasn't really awkward at all. It was, uh, she had the cast of out of sight on. So, uh, George Clooney came out and Jennifer Lopez came out, but she had like, I don't remember why I didn't see the beginning of it, but like she had a giant, uh, cabinet, with heat lamps full of White Castle burgers. I think, do you remember that? Yes. It was like a whole yeah. wall. <laughs> like the whole back wall of the set was yeah. just White Castle It was Castle like the burgers. wardrobe that uh, borders Narnia, but full of burgers. <laughs> and and she ate so she many ate of them so during many. the episode. She had like a burger eating contest with George Clooney. And it was like, and I remember like being a 13 year old kid and like loving eating burgers and still being kind of grossed out <laughs> by how many burgers were being eaten. And so they, she keeps giving them people burgers. And then Ving Rames comes out and she says like, here, have a burger. And he very seriously said, I don't partake in the consumption of animal flesh. <laughs> and like, wow. yeah. And then I, I don't remember it being like this awkward thing. And I watched it again and he says that, uh, and like the audience reacts very seriously, like people like gasped. <laughs> we were like, <gasps> and, and one woman, one woman clapped, and he was like, "Thank you." <laughs> and then, but then Rosie went, uh, so okay, I got something else. So she got a bun that was just like a burger bun with bean sprouts in it. She's like, "Here, have this." And then he was like, "Oh, okay," and it was like totally fine and funny. And he was just, you know, he was being colorful and and trying to be kind of cute and 
he was great. He was a great guest in general. It was they had a lot of great banter. It wasn't at all like the awkward thing I remembered from uh, from when I was a kid. Um, she loved giving people junk food. Yeah, that was a big thing. Like she was always sneaking her guests like hohos. <laughs> oh, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the uh, the electronic footstool that would come out. You said there was something oh, about yes. Shatner in that. Yeah, so she had the footstool because I guess those chairs were kind of high and some of her guests who were shorter needed the stool. And she pre- press a button on her desk and it would shoot out. But there was this situation where she had William Shatner on and she wanted to show it to him. And for some reason, and it's like it had never happened before, but like, the the footstool when it came out like brought the whole chair forward so it kind of like shoved him forward and then he took like a huge prat fall like onto the floor and did like a quite belabored bit about how like rosie had tried to kill him and he was gonna sue her and stuff and then it became this kind of like running bit and I remember him being on in a subsequent episode and then like showing the clip again in slow motion and then trying it again and I think like the second time like something else went wrong that also made him fall down. <laughs> Just him being like 80 probably. It was like definitely like he was hamming it up a lot and turning this minor technical malfunction into a lo- a lengthy bit. Hamming it up? That's not the William Shatner I know. <laughs> uh, that's that's great. Uh, I I did want to mention. Did you watch the uh, Dolly Parton interview that's online? No. What happened in that one? Oh, it was great. It uh, <laughs> it began with uh, Dolly Parton talking about how, like, her, I think it was her nieces who were, like, 10 years old were big fans of Rosie and she wants to say hi. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'm really big with kids. It's like, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's great to uh, to be popular with kids. And then uh, at the tail end of the interview, Rosie just said, like, how do you like New York? She's like, oh, what's better now? She's like, what do you mean now? It's like oh, I don't know, do we have time for this story? And she's like, sure. She's like, oh, well, uh, when I was like a teenager, I came here with uh, with one of my best friends and, uh, you know, we just wanted to go see a porno movie. <laughs> so uh, we went down to the theater and we watched a porno movie and uh, then it was really dirty. We, we, didn't, we, we didn't like it, so we got out of there. But we didn't realize that we were dressed like whores. <laughs> so, so we... <laughs> Sounds like a Norm MacDonald routine. <laughs> <laughs> and then... <laughs> You could tell it was just like, and I, watching it is so funny because like you were just talking about how how much like your your ten year old nieces love this show, and so she's like, yeah, we're just like horse. And then you know this guy comes up and uh, yeah, now now I'm just doing Norm Macdonald, but she's like, oh, this guy comes up and you know he tries to like uh, you know procure our services. Uh, and we don't know what he's talking about. And he's saying, you know, come back to my place. How much do you charge? And and I'm like, get away from me. And, <laughs> and then she says, and you know, this was back in the day where, you know, a young girl, if you're going to the city, like we brought our guns with us. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
And Rose like, okay, all right. She's like, so you know, this guy kept wouldn't leave us alone. So I had to say to him, like, you know, like I've got a gun. Like, you don't want me to. How do you say, like, turn a chicken into a hen, right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> the interview started off with like how much children enjoy watching the show, and then it devolved into her being like, I went to a porno theater, and then people mistook me for a sex worker, so I threatened to shoot him in the balls. <laughs> Wow. And uh, it was kind of amazing. It was a great like talk show anecdote, but uh, <laughs> it, was just, it was surprisingly off color for uh, for daytime TV. Uh, there, she should yeah. have wrote a song about that. I mean, there's got to be there could be good put a tune to that. I mean, she probably yeah. Did. That's what uh, nine to five is about. <laughs> that's how uh, long she was serving for. Uh shooting a guy in the dick <laughs> gets five to nine. Oh, and then she said they went back to their hotel room and uh like they wouldn't let her in into the room because uh they thought she was turning tricks and uh and she told this whole long story about you know full of all these amazing details and it was like hey but now i have an apartment here and it's great i love it uh wow uh, let's that is a, that is a not ready for the afternoon story it was yeah i i was not ready for it at uh eight o'clock at night on youtube 20 years later um <laughs> let's quickly talk about the the post rosie show uh career of rosie o'donnell because the, the show only went for six years which is kind mm-hmm. of you know a short amount of time for a, a talk show she ended it. uh she she went out on top yeah she just you know she walked away uh who can do that she, can conan do that no no He's uh, he's gonna cling to. Well, I think he did end his show, didn't he? But he's gonna, you know, he's gonna try to find some way to be on TV. But she left. She kind of she went. So did she immediately go to the View? What what happened there? No, I think there was a gap for a while. She what? Because she cut off all her hair and she published her first memoir, which was like kind of scandalous. People were. And she came out after the show ended, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading. I think she, I I don't think she came out. I think she was kind of outed. Like I was reading one, Mm. one thing that said, uh, one of the things that contributed to her being outed was Roseanne. Right. Like in the, in the early two thousands, Roseanne started her own talk show, which was bad and short lived. But during like a press conference, they said, well, your name is Roseanne and there's Rosie O'Donnell. How will people tell your show from hers? And she said, Oh, I'm the straight one. (laughs) And, uh, uh, you know, ruffled some feathers and, you know, kind of created this like gossip. And it was, it was really dumb. I remember watching Rosie show up on Conan and like who clearly like was friends with her and knew her, and uh, and at this point, like, she was out, and Conan kind of just read the, like, pre-written question, like, oh, so, like, are you confirming that you're gay? Like, this is a big deal, or, you know, something to that effect. And she was like, ah, it's not a big deal. Like, she's like, you know, I didn't talk about it in the show, but, like, everyone who knows me knows it. Like, you know me. Was it a surprise to you? And he was just like, the like, the veneer of TV just fell. And he was <laughs> like, no, no, I, I knew. <laughs> so it was just, yeah, it was, it was this kind of, like, yeah, it, it, there was kind of yeah this the sense that it was a big kind of Hollywood gossip story in, in the tabloids and mm-hmm. in the Entertainment Tonight's, but when it boiled down to it, it everyone was kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, 
it's no one no one seemed shocked I, by it really i really remember at the time it being paired though with a kind of like severe butch dyke haircut that she was sort of forced to apologize for after oh really people were really upset that yeah she had given herself this like gay haircut that they didn't agree to and i remember her later having to be like sort of making jokes about it and just being like oh you've never had a bad haircut like sorry guys like made a mistake got a bad haircut and then when she showed up again a few years later on The View, she'd like her hair was kind of longer and more like it had been on her own show. And I always felt it was kind of it's just like, you don't own this woman's hair yeah. just because you watch the Rosie O'Donnell show. She can have whatever fucking haircut she wants. I thought it was like insane that she had to like apologize for having a haircut that was like too queer for middle America. But I do believe that she did have to apologize to like be able to get back on daytime TV. And she did. She also had that variety show that you, you sent us a clip from it (laughs) uh, where she was like dancing with like food products with Gloria Estefan. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) That variety special. So I think that's like post her cause her time on the view. I mean, she brought in huge ratings for them but she, a lot of shit went down. There was like her notorious showdown with Elizabeth Hasselbeck where there, you know, this tiny blonde Christian woman is just screaming Republican talking points at her until she had to step away. And then what was, there were like all of these, I remember like attempted comebacks. Like she had a different show on the Oprah Winfrey network that was something called like the Rosie show. And it was essentially just the Rosie O'Donnell show again. Like it was a, an afternoon talk show with celebrities and stuff, but it it didn't run for very long and it didn't really work for some reason. They didn't really recapture the magic. And then there was Rosie live, which was uh, like a Thanksgiving special. But the idea was that if it was a big hit, they were going to bring it back as a regular show and it would be this sort of like tester pilot for it. And uh, it was not uh, a big (laughs) hit. It was a humongous fiasco. It was like critically loathed. It got terrible ratings. It's uh, it's got Clay Aiken and Alanis Morissette and Liza Minnelli. Good lineup. Real... Real curious lineup of people. Rob um, and I have seen Liza Minnelli in concert together. That's right. Yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. Oh, my God. Yeah. You, so you, were say, you were saying something about, <laughs> about not being masculine enough earlier, Rob. <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell show. <laughs> well, if she had Liza on more episodes, I would have watched. But, I mean, she had Liza on enough episodes. <laughs> okay. But the big finale, which is so... Um, beautifully excruciating like i've watched this clip so many times and she's got gloria who gloria estefan was like on rosie o'donnell's show she guest hosted they were yeah yeah they were friends they were neighbors and back when she had released like the rosie o christmas album and it had all these christmas duets there was this song called like i'm gonna eat for christmas so they decided to redo it for the thanksgiving special 
and the Thanksgiving special, I guess, was aired the day before Thanksgiving, so they changed it to, I'm gonna eat tomorrow, <laughs> which is just also, it's like, it's a weird <laughs> phrase to keep singing over and over again. And the intro to it is you see, like, the two women are, they're trying to do this comedy bit, but, like, Gloria Estefan just kills the jokes, like... She stutters, she explains them, she says them wrong. Rosie tries to cut the second joke, and Gloria Estefan continues to tell it over the intro that the band is already playing for the song. All of these dancing children dressed as food come and start dancing around as they just sing about how they're going to eat so much and gorge themselves like on these children, apparently. And then for the big climax... Rachel Ray appears with a giant, like, paper mache turkey. <laughs> it's just so, it's so weird and beautiful. And, of like, of course, of course you couldn't make that into a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it succeeds on no intentional level yeah. of art, but is a masterpiece of just unintentional. It was a waking nightmare. That's well, it's also like there's something about Rosie that like, yeah, like she's not a good singer, but you like seeing her sing and perform and do these things on her talk show because she's like the audience surrogate. Like, but Mm -hmm. yeah, but Mm -hmm. when you put her on a stage with dancers and things, it it doesn't work the same. Yeah. She has a duet with Celine Dion that I recommend (laughs) checking out. They do. Do you hear what I hear? It's a, it's a it's a wonderful vocal contrast. <laughs> All right, I think that's as good a place as any to start wrapping up. Uh, <laughs> Rob, did you think of what you saw that the Rosie O'Donnell show was rewatchable? Uh, I would say probably. I mean, it's a really innovative show in a lot of ways. Like it was something that wasn't being done in the daytime. Um, yeah, she was definitely, you know, the only woman doing the late night talk show format, though, again, in the daytime. And she is really funny. I mean, she is a great comedian. She has, you know, a great style. I love like her sort of like voices her like little characters. Um, I, I do find her personality like a little bit much. And again, maybe it's just because we watch these like specific clips, which are sometimes where she is, like, you know, at her most emotional or her most uh, needy, maybe. Yeah, I, I think it's rewatchable. I mean, we don't have a world where you can just, like, see this on TV anymore. Like, there's no reruns. I Like, I don't know if you can... They, they don't package these for Netflix or anything like that. I mean, in that sort of context, it would be sort of fun to, like, revisit some episodes with the clips... I mean, the clips are a little bit more like, you know, they're, it, it's a little bit too concentrated. I would like to see some, like, more episodes where I get to see, like, the whole thing. I like the the regular people at the beginning. But, yeah, I think it's rewatchable. Really what about you, okay. Johnny? I mean, yeah, it's such a weird question because you're like, who even would rewatch an old talk show? And or even, like, how could you beyond looking at these grainy old VHS <laughs> transfers on youtube i mean i feel like there was a time where there would be old talk shows in like afternoon syndication that that time has passed but i was what just shocked me was that when i did sit down and rewatch them 
I really love them, especially that Barbara Streisand episode. I was just like, this is so moving and beautiful. And like, I can't claim that I'm not enjoying this rewatch. Like it's, it's delightful to me. And it just made me remember all of these things. Like she was such a booster of Broadway shows. And, you know, I, I remember being able to see, you know, the Broadway casts of like, uh, yeah, Cabaret, Chicago, I mean, she, I feel like, got super behind The Lion King and Ragtime and helped, like, make both of those into these huge hits. And, yeah, she was a tastemaker, and she was also, like, bringing this world of culture. And, I mean, other talk shows weren't doing those kind of performances, to my no. memory. And, uh, and I mean, then the other thing is, like, she told the world the truth about Donald Trump way before anyone else was ready to hear it or say it. And she was fucking right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, he's still got we a few days should left. should have listened to her. I, I think he's really going to turn it around uh, <laughs> in the final day or whenever this goes up. Uh, yeah. When, when did that start? Was that on the Rosie O'Donnell show that she talked about him? Or It was on oh, The okay. View. That that was when she started to get yes. spicy and and give her strong opinions and you know not always the best opinions. I feel like she would get into some like nine eleven trutherism that was a little unforged, Ooh. but she uh, she certainly spoke her mind on the View in ways that she never really did on the Rosie O'Donnell I, show. You know, that would have been an interesting thing to see. I didn't look into how the show responded to 9-11 because it would have overlapped. And uh, and I don't have any memory of that yeah, happening. Mm. On, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll look at that up later, maybe. Uh, I, I thought it was rewatchable, too. I thought it was a lot of fun uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, Johnny. And... Uh, yeah, it, it, it was. Uh, I, I do kind of wish the the entire shows could be repackaged somehow. And like, yeah, why couldn't they be, you know, on Netflix or something? I, I think people would watch them, especially when you get to see like people who are still, you know, big deals now. You know, when you're younger or when they're younger, that's that's fun. And I think there's also mm-hmm. something about like, you know, she set out to capture this kind of like old school talk show vibe like a Mike Douglas, like a Merv Griffin, like, like that kind of thing. And, uh, I think a lot of people try to do that and latch onto the wrong kind of thing. Uh, the, you know, they pursue the wrong avenues to, to try and accomplish that. I remember like when Jimmy Kimmel started his show, that was clearly the vibe he was going for. And he had a live show and he got his guests, he gave free alcohol to his guests. And that just resulted in like worse bookings because people didn't want to do a show at midnight. And then like guests were like throwing up because they drank too much. And it was just, it was a mess. (laughs) And like, that's not what made like that era of television great. It wasn't like drinking and staying up late. You know, it was the, uh, you know, the casual conversation. It was, it was the uh, the feeling of not being boxed into like a pre-written conversation and i think that rosie just uh, through her personality like got to that uh vibe very quickly in the show and i think that's ultimately what people responded to was was uh her character and her natural uh her natural presence and I, i'm sure a lot of that was uh 
was calculated, was, you know, part of the show's planning. But that's, you know, that's to her credit that, you know, that's that's hard to pull off to make a, a you know, a planned choreographed show feel like it's off the cuff and natural like that. That's to her credit as well. And maybe the whole Tom Cruise thing was an elaborate deception that uh, that's. Uh, I fell for, but I, you know, I still like, I still, uh, I, I enjoy Rosie O'Donnell. I, I like, uh, I'm glad she's, uh, she's still around. She did like a charity thing, uh, where she kind of brought back the show, uh, during the pandemic over zoom. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, it was like a Broadway fundraiser. I think you're right. Yeah. For, for like unemployed performers or something. Great. Obviously, that speaks to her where her heart lies. Yeah. So that yeah, that's great. Uh, I uh, yeah, like yeah, I, I'd love to see these these episodes in some kind of uh, some kind of package form. That would be great. But I guess that doesn't really happen with talk shows. But again, there's only six years of it, so you know it could be it could be archived in some kind of uh, fashion and uh, and and passed on to future generations. I mean, if Netflix is picking up random old episodes of Super <laughs> like, right <laughs> just, uh, I, I think we've all reached the stage of the pandemic where we're ready to watch yeah. the rosie o'donnell show from 1996 I i've run out of all the other shows <laughs> i can't watch the office again i just thought <laughs> and what's another talk show where the opening theme song she every single episode features her singing a couplet about one of the guests <laughs> yeah that's good <laughs> How delightful is that? I will never I, I will never forget for some reason when she had Tipper Gore on and said, Things are looking chipper because I'm talking with the tipper. <laughs> that wow. that phrase will never leave my brain for the rest of my life. And that's it for rewatchability this week. Uh <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Johnny, for filling in for Blaine. Uh do you have anything you want to promote? Uh, oh, you know what I actually do? Uh, I have a storytelling piece that is going to be part of the Toronto Fringe and Next Stage Festival's Community Booster event, which I think is going to be uh, viewable for uh, sort of digital on demand from January 21st through 31st. If you go to fringetoronto.com, it should have all the details there. Okay, awesome. Neat. And uh, thank you to all of our Patreon donors. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash rewatchability. And you can subscribe uh, on Apple Podcasts, like us on Facebook, and follow us at rewatchability on Twitter. And until then, Rob, throw a koosh ball. That's fully. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.